Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Lost an hour of sleep last night, didn't you? Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm glad you made it to second service. You probably were going to come to first service, but you realize you missed it. So welcome. Okay. Well, about a month ago, Pastor Tim asked me to, to teach. He's, uh, he's out of state doing a funeral. And so uh, I thought, okay, that's cool. And I was just seeking the Lord what he wanted me to do. And he pretty much gave me an idea what, what he wanted me to do. But then as Tim finished up last week with Revelation chapter 12, he calls me and says, hey, you, you can do chapter 13. And I'm like, yes, because that's it. Revelation chapter 13, when you're teaching Revelation, apart from, you know, the letters to the churches, right? That's like where, that's the meat and potatoes, man. The rise of the Antichrist and, and the mark of the beast and all the technological things that are going on in the world, which points that we're living in those days right now, right? And I was like, yes. But the Lord was like, no. So, oh, and by the way, and if Tim's listening, I'm, I got to do this. At our elders meeting last week, you know, when I told Tim, you know, that I wasn't going to do 13, he was like, oh, that's just too bad, man, because I really wanted to teach it myself. So, so anyway, he'll get to teach it next week, and he'll probably do a better job than me. For those of you that are visiting for the first time, welcome in the name of Jesus. If you're visiting us online, uh, we're so glad you met, you're meeting with us, especially Josh and Scarlett from Bakersfield. Anyway, um, just wanted to say that. Um, just know that you're loved, not just by us, of course, but you're loved by the Lord, Lord himself. And so I hope you feel that love being shared with people around you today. Okay, so let's get into it. Um, I've spoken with a lot of people in the past probably three to four weeks, and there's just been a sense of just a troubling of the heart with everything that we see and everything we're watching and the things that are transpiring. I mean, the possibility of another world war and just the economic problems we're in, let alone when you go to the gas station, you got to fill your car up, right? I mean, that, talking about troubling your heart then, okay? Even believers today that are just like, they're still confused on, well, when does the rapture happen? Is it, is it really pre-trib? Is it mid-trib? Is it post-trib? They just, they're not sure because they get so many conflicting views, right? And basically, people are telling me, man, I don't even want to watch the news anymore. I can't watch it because I come away just, my heart is pounding, and I'm, I'm scared, and I'm worried. I've got unsaved family and friends, loved ones. What's going to happen to them? And so the Lord basically told me a couple weeks ago, you're not going to teach on 13. You're going to teach on John chapter 14, verses 1 through 6. And that's what we're going to talk about. But before we get there, here's some headlines. These are actual headlines that are out there today that can kind of give you that sense of feeling of, oh my gosh, the sky's falling, right? And here they are. I'm just going to run through some of them. Number one, war in Ukraine halts all of the shipping in the Black Sea, threatening the global food chain. The war has shut, as the second one, the war has shut down the largest ports in the world's grain exporting region. Ukraine and Russia have 30 to 60% of the world's grain production. It's known as the breadbasket of Europe, if you didn't know that. 
President Biden just last week signed an executive order to explore the possibility of creating a United States central bank digital currency, the digital dollar. It's supposed to be completed in six months with implementation of it in 2023. Boy, if that doesn't make you go, hmm, nothing will. Uh, Russia threatens major cyber attacks on countries that are providing weapons and support for the Ukrainian people. Another headline, are you ready for a massive cyber attack? Russia is going to completely disconnect from the global internet with a target date of mid-March. Hmm, very interesting. Fertilizer shortages due to the uh, Russian-Ukrainian conflict may hit U.S. farmers. The largest producer fertilizer is based in Ukraine. Food costs are going to be rising. OPEC warns the, the world of a global oil shard shortage which will increase gas prices. Really? That's so last week, man. Okay. Uh, Russia, Turkey, and Iran have already built and have staffed military bases in Syria just across Israeli's border. And just last week, as Israel sided with the United States against sanctions with Russia, Russia said, no more, no more coming into Syrian airspace and attacking missile installations and weaponry that has been brought into that region by Iran. In other words, Syrian airspace is now Russian airspace. Just another data point leading up to what's cracking off, right? So we could go on this page after page after page, but basically you would probably come away with the same sense of the people that I've been talking with. You know, your heart would be troubled. And so what I sensed and what the Lord led me to do was come to John chapter 14, verses one through six, because we do have troubled hearts. So if you would stand with me and open your Bibles or your Bible app and turn to John 14, and we're gonna do one through six. Father, we come before you right now. We thank you, Lord, that your word is truth, that it truly, Lord, is a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. Lord, we get our minds focused on so many things other than you and your word. And I pray now, Lord, that if we do have troubled hearts, if there's anybody here that has a troubled heart, Lord, I pray that they would leave today with a sense of comfort, knowing that you are in control. So we commit this time to you now in the name of Jesus, amen. So as, as you're having a seat, I'm gonna take a drink, okay? You may, you may be seated. Okay, so let's read John chapter 14, and we're gonna go through one through six. Now this is Jesus, right? He's talking to his disciples, and he's, he's about ready to kick rocks. He's about ready to leave and go back to the father's house, right? And this is what he says. Let your heart, or let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself. Important word, receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. And where I go you know, and the way you know, Thomas said, Lord, we do not know where you're going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, 
I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. All right, so let's look at the first statement here. Let not your heart be troubled. That word troubled there uh, in the Greek is the word terasso, and it means to agitate, to cause an inward commotion, or to take away a calmness of mind. And that word definitely defines the emotions of believers and non-believers alike. And we take in, as we take in what we're seeing and experiencing in the world right around us today. Now I propose that the reason we believers, right, are experiencing any inward commotion or a loss of that calmness of mind is because we have become too focused on what's happening in the world. We've been too focused on things in the world. So where does our peace come from? Where is your hope? Well, I would hope you would say, well, my hope and my peace is in Jesus. And as a believer, yeah, we could all say that, right? But you know what? I, I, I have, as a believer, hoped in other things at times, right? I've allowed my mind to get on other things at times. And it only causes me to be more focused on that thing and not on Jesus. And that's where I lose my peace. Now, too often, these are the things that believers kind of focus on. Actually, the whole world does, okay? Money. You got to pay the bills, right? Okay? Unfortunately, sometimes we begin to believe, man, if I just have that certain amount, I've, I've made it financially, if I have that amount of money in the bank or in my 401k or my investments, right? Man, I've made it. I, I can be safe and secure. How about your career? Man, if I could just move up the ladder or if I can get that job that I've always wanted. Well, unfortunately, when we're thinking that way, it's because our identity and our, our self-worth is found in that position or that job instead of in Christ. And I, I will tell you right up front, that, that was me. You know, I, I, I used to be in law enforcement years ago, and that was my identity. And the Lord stripped that away from me because my identity is supposed to be in Christ, amen? He will take anything away that is separating you from him, whether you want to let it go or not, okay? Um, personal relationships, you know, our spouses, our kids, our friends, our church family, sometimes people in our lives become idols. Sometimes we do so much and spend so much time for our kids that we begin to take our eyes off of the Lord and we, we lessen the time we're spent in prayer and in the word because we're so busy. I mean, we raised four boys. Man, talking about not sleep until after summer, you know, I mean, you had baseball and football and wrestling. I mean, it's like you, you never had time for yourself, right? So sometimes those personal relationships can pose a problem. And then, of course, the, the possession things, right? I mean, Madison Avenue advertisement, unless you have that new truck or that new car or, ladies, in, unless you're wearing the right clothes or smell the right way, you just have not made it in this world today. Well, you know, I'm not even going to touch that one. So. Um, <laughs> so possessions can get a hold of us, right? All these things, right? We get our minds and our eyes focused on these things, but the scripture says that we're supposed to lay aside those things. You know, the sins, of course, 
but those things that easily entangle us. That they may not be sinful, right? We all got to have a job and pay the bills, right? We got to do those things, right? But they can't be the focus. They can't be the primary reason that we're living. You're, if you're in Christ today, your primary reason for existing right now is to make disciples for Jesus Christ. That's your job. Now, we'll get into that a little bit deeper. I don't, you know, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, right? But sometimes we need to have a little he- heavenly spanking, so to speak, if we're not focused on the right things, okay? So let's move on. All these things are temporal. They're going to be removed. You can't take them to heaven with you, correct? I was talking to my neighbor uh, the other day, and he's a, he's a great gentleman. And he says, you know, I, I raised my kids and my grandkids to know one thing. I can only take one person to heaven, and that's himself. He can't take his kids, and he can't take his grandkids, can't take his friends. It's him and him alone, because it's a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Just because Papa was a pastor, or maybe you went to seminary and you've got a you know, degree after your name for a theological teaching, whatever, that doesn't mean anything. Because I know a lot of pastors coming out of seminary that have no idea what they're teaching. Okay? Because it's the Holy Spirit that illuminates his word that gives us truth. Right? So we need to keep our mind focused on Christ and Christ only. Just a little aside, you know, those things can be taken so quickly from us that we have our minds set on. And I was just thinking of the, the people of Ukraine. I mean, if you've been keeping up with what's going on, it's devastating. Absolutely devastating. I was talking to a brother after first service, and, and he said, you know, the pictures that he sees and the reports from believers in Ukraine asking us to pray for them, I mean, if you would just look at the pictures and not know what what the day is, you'd think that's got to be the tribulation period. The place is on fire. Man, where is their hope, though? Everything's been taken away. The money, the homes, everything they have. No no gas, no heating, no water, nothing. Yet they say, pray for us because we, we trust in the Lord. So it can be taken very quickly. So keep our eyes focused on him. Psalm 39, verse six and seven. Surely every man walks about like a shadow. Surely they busy themselves in vain. He heaps up riches and does not know who will gather them. And now, Lord, what do I wait for? My hope is in you. Psalm 146, three and five. Do not put your trust in princes, folks, do not put your trust in a political party or a political figure because they do not have the answer. There is only one answer, and that is Jesus Christ, right? We do what we can to continue to promote and foster holiness and righteousness and conservative values, all those things, but you know what? It is not a political leader that's gonna save us, okay? So do not put your trust in princes, nor in a son of man in whom there is no help. His spirit departs, he returns to his earth, and in that day his plans perish. Happy is he though, right? Happy is he who has the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord, his God. And I think the ultimate example of us as believers is in Job chapter 13, verse 15. Now remember, Job lost everything and everyone. He was completely alone. 
Yet he himself says in verse 15 of chapter 13, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. Job understood that all these things are fleeting, but the Lord himself is eternal. So I have a question. Can you say that today? That if you lose everything, that you still trust in the Lord? That's a tough question, guys. It's easy for us living in America right now. But other places, that is a decision they make every single day, right? And uh, I've, I've already given, gotten permission from Mike Lopez. Uh, he shared something on Thursday night. He, he taught home fellowship for, for me as I was studying for this. And he made a comment. He says, you know, the last couple of years, it's been a transformative period of time for him with the Lord. You know, a believer for years. But the last couple of years, the Lord has really been stripping away the things that he thought were important to him. And now he really realizes what the important issues are. And, and then he made the comment, just ask my wife, I'm a different man. <laughs> and so I did, and she goes, oh yeah, he is. So, <laughs> so the point is though, are we able to say that very thing, Lord, whatever you wanna take from me, it's okay. Uh, I'm willing to do and go wherever you've called me to, because that's what we're called to do. So what I wanna do now is I wanna take the, the few minutes we have left uh, and I want to discuss in the next few verses of chapter 14 how they re relate to the rapture of the church and hopefully calm some of your troubled hearts, right? Now, as you know, if maybe you don't know, we here at Calvary, we teach and hold to a pre-tribulation rapture view. We believe that the church, the body of Christ, will be taken out before the great tribulation, right? Now, thinking that the church is going through the tribulation absolutely causes people's hearts to be troubled. There are brothers and sisters in our body, and I'm not talking just a few, that they're still not sure. When I have conversations with them, they're like, well, you know, I, this view says one thing and this view says another. I don't know what to believe. And they, they have troubled hearts, especially when they see everything going on and all of the pieces lining up, just like the scripture is foretold. And so I understand we have troubled hearts which is why hopefully today it'll help you. Um, to reduce the stress of when it's gonna happen, I wanna compare the rapture with the ancient Jewish wedding ceremony. And I, I hope you begin to think in this way that, okay, Jesus, you know, he, he was born into Israel as a Jewish man. He was a, he was a good Jewish boy, right? Everything that he did and everything he taught was of a Jewish nature. The tribulation period is the 70th week of Daniel's prophecies, right? The 70th week. And it's focused on Israel to bring them to salvation in their true Messiah. So when we look through the, the book of Revelation, it has a Jewish flavor to it. So I hope you keep that mindset. So here we go. The Jewish wedding consisted of five sections or five areas, right? The arrangement, the betrothal, the preparation, the ceremony, and the feast. Now, I want to go back real quickly for myself, and I want to read verses 1 through 3 again of John 14, because you got to have this in your mindset. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. 
If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Now, got a couple questions. Where was Jesus when he said this? Was he in heaven or on earth? He was on earth. Okay, all right, good, all right. What was he promising? To come back and get us, right? He said, if I go, to, if I go I, I'm coming back. I'm going to get you. This is all a picture of the Jewish wedding. If you've never studied it, this is a picture of a Jewish wedding, all right? And then he says, or then I, my next question is, where was he going when he left? To the father's house. Where's the father's house? And what was he going to do? Prepare a place for us. Okay, so we got to have this in, in, our, in our mindset. He was here. He made a promise. He left. He's going to do something, and then he's going to come back. So how does this work in relation to a Jewish wedding? Well, here we go, okay? The, the arrangement or the taking of a bride, that's what it's referred to in the Hebrew, the taking of a bride was done by the father of the groom. The father would choose the perfect match for his son. Now, but before we can be chosen, we also, we as believers, we have to be drawn to him, first of all, right? Okay? Um, in John 6, it says, no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. In John 16:8, speaking of the Holy Spirit, it says, and when he has come, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. You see, the Holy Spirit does three things in your life. Before you're a believer, the Holy Spirit is para, with you, drawing you, reminding you that you're not holy, that you're unrighteous, and you need a savior, right? That's what the Holy Spirit does. Kind of like the, the trusted servant of the Father going to pick out the bride to choose just the right one for the Son. And then after salvation, right, the Holy Spirit comes in us. That's the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And then, of course, the third part is the epi or the upon experience in Acts where we are empowered to live the lives that he has called us to and to be witnesses and examples to the world, right? So all those things are what the Holy Spirit does. So when he comes, he's going to convict us and draw us to the Father. Now, the arrangement process being chosen as the bride of Christ is completed or was completed when the Father drew us to himself and the Holy Spirit convicted us that led to repentance. In 1 Peter 2.4, it says, coming to him, talking about us, the bride of Christ, coming to him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. Well, how do I relate that to the wedding ceremony? The father chooses the perfect bride for his son. The scripture tells us that you are chosen. If you're a bride in Christ today, you're chosen. And that word chosen is the Greek word eklektos, and it means to be picked out. Select or choice, the best of its kind or class. You ever go to the store to buy meat and you got choice and select and prime cut you know what I'm talking about right well 
in this mindset, you have been chosen. You've been picked over. You are the best in your class because you, men and women, boys and girls, you are chosen by God. You were the perfect choice for the father, for his son. If you don't think of yourself that way, you need to allow the Holy Spirit to change your mindset. You are special because he made you special for his son if you're in the body of Christ. I hope that's a little comforting to you. Now, that's the first part. That's the arrangement. The second section, um, or actually, once that is, the selection's made, we're, we now have a written contract, also known as a ketubah, and it was the contract that states the price of the bride... I know that's a little politically incorrect today, but in the Jewish culture, there was a price to be paid for for the bride, right? And it was also, the, it gave all the rights and requirements and responsibilities of the bride. Guess what the price was? The price of the bride was the blood of Jesus that he shed on the cross. See, again, you're chosen, you're special, You're so special that the Lord himself shed his blood for you. Make it personal, not just, yes, he shed himself, his blood for the world. Yeah, but no, he shed his blood for me personally, for you personally. And how valuable is it? You can't earn enough money in a million lifetimes end to end to purchase one drop of the blood of Jesus. That's why you are chosen. Your choice, you've been picked out. You're special. You're the absolute perfect bride for Jesus. Now also, in the ketubah, our written contract, right, which, guess what? It's the Bible. That's what our ketubah is. It's the Bible, right? It tells us everything we need to know, our promises, or his promises, our responsibilities, and we need to know it, we need to fulfill it, and we need to live it. So the question is, how are we doing with that? I don't know, that's for you to decide, right? Am I really living up to the agreement that I made when I came to Christ? Did I really, kind of going back to the first part, have I really taken my eyes off everything that gets my mind focused on them and keep it on Jesus? Well, if you're like me, the answer is no. I mean, I fail all the time. But the great part about salvation, the great part about the Lord is if we confess our sins, right, he is faithful and just to forgive us of some of our sins, all of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. It's, it's, he's a wonderful Lord and Savior. Okay, moving on. Um, at the end of that arrangement period, one thing had to happen typically. Typically, the bride had to accept the groom. How does that relate to a Jewish wedding ceremony? In the, well, we have to accept Jesus, right? There's got to be a point in your life where you have said, Lord, I'm a sinner and I need you to save me. If that's never happened in your life, if you've never in your head and your heart realized that you are destitute and, and you're gonna wind up in hell and you just think you're a good person, you're gonna be okay, well then you don't have the Holy Spirit in you. You, you don't have salvation. You have a religion and religion brings death. It's only relationship that brings life, amen? Okay, so let's look at Romans 10, 9, and 10. Remember, we've got to accept him in that, in that arrangement. It says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes 
and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. So there's two things there, confession and believing, right? Confession and believing. Have you confessed him? The scripture says that if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my father. Now, it's great to say, yeah, I, 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 I accepted the Lord while I was driving, I was listening to Christian radio, awesome. But who have you told? Does anybody know that you made a heart change? Are you an undercover Christian? You know, they say, you know, if, if we were to be put on trial for being a Christian, is there enough evidence to convict us? And if, if the answer is not guilty, oh, then I truly am guilty, right? So it's not just the confession part. You know, the scripture tells us that, you know, let me put it this way. Actions are louder than words. I used to tell it to my kids all the time. You can say one thing, but what do you do? We need to make sure that we're doing the things the Lord called us to do. And the second part of that is we've got to believe. And that word believe is the word pistuo, and it means to be, to be persuaded of something to be true, right? Or to place confidence in. So I hear people say, well, I believe in Jesus, right? And I say, okay, well, that's great, you know. But the demons believe in Jesus too, right? The demons actually have seen him in his glory, but they haven't put faith and confidence in him. So there's gotta be a little bit more than just the head knowledge, right? You know the old saying, you know, the distance between heaven and hell is 18 inches. It goes from the head knowledge here to the heart knowledge here. That's why we confess, right? And we believe. Two parts there. So that ends with the first part of the arrangement, right? So next comes the betrothal. Now the betrothal was the next portion and it starts with a mikvah or a, a water washing. Well, our mikvah is our baptism. Baptism is extremely important, it's not salvational. Just because you were baptized does not mean you have a place in heaven. It's just an example, right? The outward example of an inward change. We should be baptized, we should follow the Lord's example and be baptized, right? Baptism shows the world I have given my life to Christ. Back in Jesus' time and afterwards, baptism was so significant that here's the river they're getting baptized in. On one side are the Pharisees and the religious leaders. On the other side are those that are coming to Christ. And the Pharisees and religious leaders are taking names. That one's a, that one's a Christian now. That one's a Christian now. Well, you were excommunicated from the religious system of Judaism. And that meant everything. How did that mean everything? Well, let's say that you were a, let's say you were a wheel maker, as an example. Whatever it was, the, the, the Pharisees and the priests would go to your boss, if you worked for somebody, and say, that man is persona non grata. We do not want him anymore. And to keep your good standings in the synagogue, you'd kick him to the curb. He'd have to survive on his own. So baptism was so important, it proclaimed to the world that you really mean what you say. Actions speak louder than words. Okay, so um, after that, the, the, the rite of the betrothal was completed when the groom gave something of extreme value to the bride and she accepts it. Well, guess what the Lord gave us when we accepted him as our Lord and Savior? Eternal life, yeah. 
he also sealed us with the Holy Spirit of promise, right? What a gift, the gift of the Holy Spirit, right? Um, let's look at Ephesians 13. I'm sorry, Ephesians 1, chapter... Let's look at Ephesians 1, verses 13 and 14. In him you also trusted, after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom you also believed, there's that word pistuo, right? You were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until the redemption and the purchase of the purchased possession of, to the praise and glory. You were purchased by the blood of Jesus. You belong to him. The sealing of the Holy Spirit is like the sealing of a signet ring of a king. His seal is upon you. You are his. The blood of Jesus purchased you out of hell. You were bound for hell. Remember that. There's, there's no in-between. I'm either going to be one of his and go to heaven, or I'm not one of his and I'm going to go to hell. He purchased us by the sealing of the Holy Spirit. Or, or he purchased by his blood, and then we were sealed by the Holy Spirit. So in the Jewish ceremony, they received something of great value. Well, you have received something of immense value, the Holy Spirit. And finally, the betrothal was sealed and came to an end when the bride and the groom shared a cup of wine. Well, think about this. In, in the upper room, the Last Supper, Jesus shared communion, didn't he? He shared a cup. But then what did he say? What did he say? I mean, that's our cup. That's our communion cup, right? But what did he say? He said, I'm not going to drink this cup with you again until I share it with you in heaven. See, because the, the final part of the ceremony, right, which is the wedding ceremony, and we'll get there in a minute, they drank it again. They sealed the deal, the actual wedding ceremony, they would share that second cup. But the Lord says, I'm not going to share it with you again until later. So let's move on. The preparation period, and this is where we are right now. How do we know this is the preparation period? Because in the Jewish wedding, after the deal was sealed and they shared the cup, right, the bride stayed at, the, at her parents' house and the groom went to his dad's house. I go to my father's house, right, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. That's exactly what this picture is. This is called the preparation time. Now, the groom doesn't know when he's going to come. He has no idea, which is very important when it comes to the idea of when is the rapture of the church, right? Now, within the Jewish ceremony, this is what the groom would say to the, the bride as he was leaving. I go to prepare a place for you, and I will return to get you. It was a promise to his bride. I'm going away for a while. As a matter of fact, it had to be at least 10 months. Any ideas why it had to be at least 10 months? They wanted to make sure she was pure. Okay? Yeah, there you go. Okay. So he was going to go away for a period of time. And so he is promising her, I will come again. Does that sound familiar? Isn't that exactly what Jesus said in John 14? Okay. So he has no idea. He's not going to come back until the father says, the place is ready. Go get your bride. So in Mark 13, verses 32 to 33, it says, talking about when he was asked, when are you coming back? He says, hey guys, 
But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son. He doesn't even know. That's very important for later. He doesn't even know when he's going to come back, right? What does it say? He says, but only the Father. And then he says, take heed and watch and pray, for you do not know when the time is coming. Wow, we are to be watching and praying right now, expectantly awaiting the Lord's return. So, that is where Jesus is right now. He's in the Father's house, and he's getting our room ready. And we are here waiting for the day for him to come get us. Now, the bride, that's us, our preparation time is designed to set ourselves apart and to be consecrated to the Lord. She would examine her life. Things that shouldn't be there, she would get rid of. She wanted to be the best bride that she could be for her husband. The vows that they took, the ketubah that showed what her responsibilities were, she wanted to live it to a T. Psalm 139, 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties, and see if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. And 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. In other words, the, the preparation period that we are in as the body of Christ right now, we are to be examining our life. What is there that shouldn't be there? What is causing me to have my mind on this thing or this person instead of on the person of Jesus Christ? And whatever that thing is, we need to lay it down. You know, we talk about it in man coffee all the time. Our sanctification is always directly proportional to the amount of submission that we give him. I can hold on to things that I like. I can continue to live a lifestyle as a believer that may is not glorifying to the Lord, right? But I'm never going to be sanctified the way he wants me to be sanctified until I submit it to him. He will not force you to give things up, right? A loving relationship is I don't want to do anything or say anything to my wife that is going to break her down. I need to be willing to lay my life down and my wants and desires for the benefit of my spouse. Isn't that what it's all about in a marriage? <coughs> Excuse me. So how are we doing on that part? Are we, are we really able to say, Lord, whatever you want to take from me to be a good bride for you, I'm willing to do it? I mean, that's something for you and the Lord to talk about. Now, the bride of Christ, right? The contract with Jesus requires that we Strive for purity, diligently seeking him on a moment-by-moment basis. Now, by the way, the bride, right, she was still at the house waiting for the groom to show up, right? And she was supposed to be always ready, which is where we get in Matthew 25, and I want you to do some homework. Read Matthew 25, the parable of the virgins, right? Five smart ones and five not-so-smart ones, right? And it all had to do with were they ready, did they have the oil for their lamps? And of course, the oil is a representation of the Holy Spirit, right? Because you can't go to heaven unless you have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Okay, and that all goes back to what we just talked about, the confessing and the believing and the empowering and all those things, right? Okay, so here we have virgins 
brides that are waiting for their coming bridegroom. And that's how we're supposed to be, waiting, not falling asleep, not getting focused on all the things of the world, but, ex- but expectantly waiting for his imminent return. So now we come to the wedding ceremony, and this is what we are waiting for, folks. When the father is satisfied that the wedding chamber, which basically was an extra room on the dad's house, right? When the wedding chamber is ready, he says, son, go get your bride. And that's what we're waiting for. We want to hear those words, right? The bridegroom comes. Now, the son and the groomsman would go to where the bride lived, but they wouldn't go all the way to the house. They would only go near the house, maybe to the middle of the town if it wasn't too big, right? Or a couple blocks away. And what they would do is they would blow the shofar, which is a ram's horn, what we would consider like a trumpet, right? And there would be a shout from the head groomsman saying, behold, the bridegroom comes. And at that point, man, the bride who has been expectantly waiting and preparing for the return of the groom would rush out to meet the groom, right? And they would go to wherever the bridegroom was. Typically, and you you probably have seen pictures of it, they would put the bride and the groom on chairs and they would dance them around. They would lift them up and back to the dad's house they would go. Man, what a perfect picture in 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17, right? It says, for the Lord himself will descend Leave the father's house where he is right now, and he's coming back to where we are, right? And our home is the earth, correct? Right? So um, he will descend from heaven with a shout. The bridegroom cometh, right? The Jewish tradition. With the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, the blowing of the shofar, the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remain will be caught up. You see, he doesn't come to our house. Just like the wedding tradition, he didn't come to the bride's house. He comes somewhere in the air because the scripture says that we are caught up, we're lifted up, and we meet him in the air. And what did he say? Where I am, you may be also. Where where was he? He was making our wedding chamber in the father's house, and that's where he's taken us. He doesn't bring us up for a split second and then right back down to earth. No, because we still got the feast to do and the feast is coming. So the idea here is as the Jewish wedding ceremony pictures, the Lord calls us up into the air. He catches us up and we go back to his dad's house where we're gonna be with him forever. Now, the ceremony takes place under what's called a hoopah or a canopy. Man, I would say heaven is the most beautiful canopy or hoopah you could ever imagine, right? So our wedding is going to be done. I mean, for for ladies, man, you're going to have the wedding event of a lifetime, right? It's going to be under the canopy of heaven. Now, it's interesting that in the Jewish wedding ceremony, the last part, the wedding ceremony, the bride and groom, they kind of repeat their vows, remind, remind them of the promises, and then they share a final cup, a second cup. That really seals the deal. But remember, when Jesus shared the communion service, right? He said, I'm not going to drink of this again until I share it with you later. This is where that happens. We come together. We're in the Father's house. We're all there as the bride of Christ, and we're able to partake of that wedding feast that we're going to talk about right now. 
The wedding feast, it's a seven-year period. Now you'll go, well, how do you know it's seven years? Well, within the Jewish tradition, it's called the Shuvua. Okay? The wedding feast of a normal Jewish wedding lasted seven days. Man, you think you had a great wedding. This thing, man, that, that, was a, that was a raging party for seven days, man, right? People were having a great time for seven full days. Now, that word Shavuot can also mean a period of seven or seven years. And so it's a picture of where we're going to be while the earth is suffering the great tribulation. Because the bride of Christ is not appointed unto wrath. And we already know from what Pastor Tim has taught, the tribulation period, or not just what Tim has taught, what the scripture teaches is the tribulation period is God's wrath poured, about, poured out upon the world for its disbelief. So we're not appointed into that. So where are we? Well, the bridegroom came and got the bride and took us to the dad's house, and now we're going to have our wedding feast, which is a period of seven years. We're going to be having the best party we've ever had in our life. Amen? Okay, now, if you're not sure, well, how do you know it could be seven years? If it's a Shavuot one week, how do we know it's seven years? Well, if you look at Daniel chapter 9, it'll talk to you and let you know that it can be seven years, right? So it's a perfect picture of where we're going to be. And afterwards, we come back to the earth at the end of the tribulation period, and we rule and reign with Jesus upon this earth. So I know that may have been a little confusing, so let me confuse you, confuse you even more. A quick recap, put it all together. Mindset of a Jewish person having a wedding, having a wedding. The father chooses the bride, that's us. The groom, Jesus, pays the price for the bride, his blood, he purchases us. We receive a ketubah or a written agreement, which is the Bible telling us what our contract is, what we should do, how we should live. Then we receive the gift from the groom. Jesus gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit, right? Then we have a baptism, and then we have communion. That's pretty much what we do, but we're not done. Then the groom, which is Jesus, he leaves and goes to the dad's house to work on our place in heaven while we stay here consecrating ourselves and asking the Lord, look at my heart and purify me. I want to be the best bride for you. After that happens, right, we hear the trumpet. We hear the shout. We hear the voice, and we're caught up, and we're taken to the Father's house with Jesus, and we're there forever with him until we come back to earth. That's simple. Now, you may say, well, how does this Jewish wedding comfort me, knowing whether it's pre-, mid-, or post-tribulation rapture? Well, real simple. In the mid-tribulation view, you know when the Antichrist signs the agreement for peace, right? We all if we're here, we're going to see it happen. And we know that it's a period of seven years. So you will know to the day, because the scripture says it's 1,260 days from the time that peace agreement is signed to the day the Antichrist steps into the temple and desecrates it and declares to be God and demands worship. We know when it happens. Well, but wait a minute. We read the scripture where it says not even the sun knows. Well, then if it's a mid-trib, then the sun's got to know. I've got to know if I'm here, right? Because I know when it starts and I know what the 1260th day is. So it doesn't work. Secondly, what about a post-tribulation view of the rapture? Same thing. If I know when it starts, 
I know it's 1260 days to the mid, and then I know it's another 1260 days to the very end because the scripture tells us that it's a seven year period. So wait a minute. Again, I would know if I'm here. And again, Jesus would know. So all of it violates scripture. The only one that brings a comfort, really, and follows scripture line by line is the pre-tribulation of you. Now I know there's some that say, well, there's scriptures that say those that endure to the end will be saved, but that is, that's not in the context that we're talking about. And by the way, you know, where it says that uh, the enemy, the Antichrist, will overcome the saints. Well, remember, there are Old Testament saints looking forward to the coming of Christ, right? Well, there will be people who come to Christ after us, after the rapture of the church. So yes, they will be overcome. They're going to pay with their life for their faith in Jesus Christ during the tribulation period. It's full circle. That's what happened in the beginning of the church, throughout all time, and it'll happen then too. The only one that makes any sense is the pre-tribulation view. So I hope when you think about the rapture and when you think about what's going on in the world and you can kind of focus it around the eyes of a Jewish mindset, you should have a little hope right now if you don't already. If you thought it was mid or post, I hope you can see by the picture of the Jewish wedding, it's got to conform to what Jesus said because it's the only one that matches. So I want to finally finish, and I got about three minutes left. I want to finish with John 14, 4 through 6, the last verses. And, and ultimately, actually, this is the, the important part. He says, where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas says, well, we, we do not know where you're going, and how can we know the way? And Jesus says to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, what's important is the article, the Okay? The word the way, the truth, the life. It means the only one. It's not a truth, a way, a life. It's the. That article is very important, right? So the most important question for us as we leave here today is how do I make sure that I'm in the bride of Christ? Well, I'm a good person, right? You may be sitting here. You may have gone to church your whole life. That was me. I mean, not to get crazy, you know, but... I was potty trained in Sunday school. I still remember that in my mind. It's still just it cringe when I think about it, right? <laughs> Seriously. <sighs> so maybe I'm a good person. Maybe I've been in church my whole life. Well, that's great. You're a good person. But you know what? There's a lot of good atheists that reject the idea of a God, right? But they're, they're not going to heaven. So it's not how good you are. Well, how about, well, I got baptized when I was nine years old and I went to church camp. That was me, right? Doing those things is wonderful, but they don't bring salvation to you, right? Those are works that we do for the Lord. And Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 tells us, for by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast about it. So yes, we need to be doing the works that God prepared beforehand, right? We need to walk in the things that God has called us to do. But they don't save me. It's real simple, folks. Someone might say, well, you know what? There's so many religions. As long as I follow the tenets and the faith of the one that I like the best, then I'll be okay. 
Sorry, Jesus made it so clear. So clear that I can understand it. No one comes to the Father but through him. He is the doorway. He is the gate to eternal life. You can't go any other way. So as, as we get ready to close, I'm going to have the worship team come up, and i got some questions for you. If you're in the bride of Christ, if you're a believer here today, how are you doing? Are you setting yourself apart for the Lord? Are you consecrating yourself? Are you turning away from the old lifestyle that you used to live? Are you submitting more and more of your desires and your wants to the Lord to glorify him and not, and not to fulfill my own desires? Well, if, if that's you, then you got some work to do today. Now, if you're not in the bride of Christ today, if you've never, if you've never consciously been at that point where you've said, I confess the Lord Jesus and I believe in my heart, if you've never done that, Again, you could have gone to church your whole life, but if you've never got to that point where you've publicly said, yes, I want Jesus as my Lord and my Savior, not just fire insurance, but I'm submitting myself to the Lord. That new song today that that Marty brought, my eyes to heaven, my whole life surrendered, that's what we're talking about. It's not, okay, Lord, you can have this part, but I'm keeping this because I like this part of my life. No, he's either Lord of everything or he's not Lord at all. So those of us that have never made that confession of faith, today is the day of salvation. You don't have a guarantee that you're gonna leave this place and make it home. Things happen every day to people, to good people, right? So if that's you, today you have work to do before you leave here. Now at the end of the song, we're gonna have some leaders up here and they're here to pray for you. If you have some things that you know you gotta give over to the Lord, you're in the body of Christ, but you know I have not been living according to the ketubah, according to the agreement that I made with you, Lord, when when I gave you my heart and my soul and you know there's some things, come down. Let people pray for you. Let them pray over you that the Holy Spirit would empower you to get, to get rid of those things that so easily entangle us, right? And if you've never publicly made a profession for Jesus Christ, today I want you to come down. And I want you to tell somebody up here, today was the day that I chose Jesus and I wanna give my life to him. Because remember, he said, if you don't confess me before men, I won't confess you before my father. The, the most horrible words I've ever read in scripture is when people come to Jesus and say, Lord, Lord, you know, and, he, and he turned, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things in your name? And he says, depart from me, I never knew you. So we may have a head knowledge of who the Lord is, but do we have the heart knowledge? And does he know that we're his bride? So no condemnation, right? But we're talking about real things. And, and I say it because, look, the people in Ukraine, that's a prime example. They were living life fat, dumb, and happy. Spring was coming. Nothing was going to be different than last year. And all of a sudden, in a matter of two weeks, it's gone. Don't think, as Christians in America, that we won't go through tough times, right? I mean, we experienced World War I and World War II, Right? So the idea is get your hearts right. If you're a believer, submit more to the Lord. If you're not a believer, 
come to the Lord today and be made a part of the bride of Christ. Amen? Father, we come before you right now. We thank you, Lord, that you are the only one who leads and guides and teaches. Father, we pray that the Holy Spirit would work in all of our hearts right now, directing us to what you want for us, Lord. May there be salvation. May there be submission right now in the blessed name of Jesus. All to your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.